So the message that I wrote this morning uh, reminded me of a dream. I actually didn't think of the dream until I had written the message that I wanted to share with you today. And I had this dream many, 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 many years ago. In this dream, I was in a mall, and in the mall, all the stores were closed, except for one. There was a back entrance, and at the back entrance, there was one lone store that was open. And in that store was a giant bread factory, and it was this uh, factory that was making these giant rolls, fresh-baked bread. And they would come down this conveyor belt and drop into a big, giant basket by the entrance of the door. And I walked up to that store, and I grabbed one of those big, fresh baked rolls of bread, and I turned around and I looked into the mall and I could see thousands of people that were held back from getting to the store. I don't know how they were held back, but they were all lined up waiting to get to the store, but something was holding them back, and all of these people were crippled. They had uh, uh, crutches, and they had braces on, and they had casts on. They were sick. They were disabled. They couldn't get to where they were supposed to go to get this bread. So I grabbed this bread, and as I went to bring it to them, I somehow knew in the dream that the bread was healing for them. And as I went to bring the bread to them, there were all these protesters with picket signs that came out to try to stop me and were protesting my life. I don't know why they were protesting me, but they didn't want me to bring the bread to the people. But somehow I was able to push past those people and begin to hand the bread out to all these people that were lined up, and they started to receive their healing. And today what I want to talk about is how this house is like that. This house really is like a house of bread. And I want to show you why. I'm going to show you some prophetic signs that God has given to this church that are really supernatural. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the Christmas story and how it applies to you. But before I tell you that, I want to tell you how God has put us in Flower Bluff for a reason. We're on the corner of Waldron Road and SPID where a lot of transients and homeless pass through. Now, Rock City Church is not a homeless ministry, but we love and care for the outcasts and the homeless for a reason, because not only does the Bible command us to, but we realize that behind the mental illness and the hard shells and the hurts and the pains and the sickness and everything that they're going through, there's a person that was created in the image and likeness of God. Now, I get it. A lot of these homeless people can really be irritating uh, for a whole lot of reasons. We've had some homeless people that literally will stand out in front of the church and cuss us out or cuss you out with your children while you're coming and going to church. We've had people that have come in strung out on meth or alcohol that maybe came in calm, but as soon as the worship started, they would start running around the church. We had a lady once start running around the church. Her shirt pulled all the way up and her breasts were hanging out and she was wired out. We had a guy that we really did love and, and worked hard to reach, a guy by the name of Lance. And this is a guy like a lot of the guys you would see out on the streets. He was talking to himself, and he would do his hand motions a lot. And we don't know who he's talking to, which, you know, really is demonic. It's a spirit. And they're really strung out and very mentally sick. And so some days this guy would be really nice, and other times he wouldn't be so nice. Uh, but we tried to reach him. For many years we would let him come in, and many times he would get belligerent. Because what would happen is as soon as the worship would start going, he would get extra expressive. His hands would go more wild. He'd, get, he'd start to get, you know, super, super animated. And it would freak a lot of people out. He's living on the streets. He didn't smell so good. And that would just happen to be the day that you would invite your Church of Christ neighbors to come to Rock City Church, right? I mean, that's the one time you invite your neighbors to come. And you'll, they'll sit right next to Lance, you know. Or the lady will be running around the church and they'll think, man, this church is just so crazy. 
And so many times we would go to Lance and we'd, we'd try to get him to calm down. And sometimes he would. And other times he would just get belligerent. He'd start cussing and screaming right here in church, right during worship. He'd get taken out the doors and kick the doors down and yell at us and scream at us all the way out into the parking lot right as you're coming with your kids. We have another guy that we have had to ban off the property because what he'll do is he'll walk around to your car as you, as you park, and he's talking to himself and doing the hand thing. And most of the time, he's not belligerent, but sometimes he gets really belligerent. And he'll start screaming and cussing and yelling at the church and at you and at everybody coming and going, being defiant. He's cussed my staff out, the pastors here, uh, many, many times. And many times we have given him food or we've given him coffee, but mo more often than not, he's belligerent. And yesterday he got hit by a car and was laid out on our sidewalk. And Marlene, Pastor Marlene and Fabian came up on their day off to help him and to give him food and to call the ambulance and do whatever we could. He was back here today. We were here to help him do all that we could uh, to see him be, be taken care of. On many occasions, I've given them food or I've given them something from my coffee shop or water. We've directed them to Lisa, who's here, over to Rising Tide Ministries or uh, Clothed in Righteousness when we had it here. And yet, at the end of the day, no matter what they do, we still have to love them. They'll defecate on our sidewalk, in the back alley. They leave trash everywhere. But God somehow knew this is where we needed to be because you have to remember, I didn't actually pick this spot. And I'm not putting any blame on God except to say God knew right where we needed to be, and it was here. And this church works hard to reach everybody from every walk, every social status, every ethnic status, no matter your color of your skin or how much money you do or don't make, we want to reach everyone. From the homeless to the millionaires on the island, south side, or on shoreline. Wherever it is, we want to reach everybody, and everybody's welcome to come here. But this is a place that can be pretty messy. And if we ever lose sight of the fact that God moves mightily in messiness, if we want our nice, comfortable, organized, pretty churches, we're going to miss what God's really wanting to do in these hours. Now, it doesn't mean we don't need to be safe. Some of you may notice that we have now hired a full-time police officer to be here because safety is really important to me, and I have children here too, and you have children here, and we have a lot of safeguards to protect you and your family at Rock City Church, much of which you don't know about, which is fine. You just need to know that there's a lot of people that watch. You're protected and you're safe. But more importantly, you need to know you're in a place where people can come and find healing and restoration and strength no matter what they do. And I tell, I'll tell you guys this now. I don't think that you should give homeless people money unless the Lord really tells you to. If you really want to help somebody, go to the store, go to Stripes, go to the gas station, get a bottled water, get a hot dog, get them something to eat. And if the Lord tells you to give them money, I highly encourage you that when, before you give them money, you tell them about Jesus and give them the gospel. There are many times I'll have a dollar in my hand and they see that I got that and they'll listen to anything I have to say when they see some money. <clears throat> and that's fine. And there are times that I give out money. <clears throat> Jeremy, pastor, would you get me some water, please? And so there are times that I'll give somebody money, but I'm very diligent about it, and I do it when I'm spirit-led. And sometimes the Lord will tell me to do it and not to say anything. But more often than not, I'm praying for somebody. I'm encouraging them. I'm getting them something to eat from the coffee shop or a cup of coffee. And what that's done is that's commanded respect with most of these uh, guys. One time I came out from the coffee shop. My wife was doing her book reading. And a 
uh, a uh, mother with three children were walking out. It was just at dark. And they happened to park right over here on this side. And there was a homeless couple that were yelling and screaming and cussing each other out loudly. And there were three little kids. And I was walking out to my truck as they were going this way. And I could hear them fighting. And I saw the mom and the kids come out. So I ran over there and I shouted, hey, stop cussing. There's children here. I need you to quiet it down. And they're like, sorry, Pastor David, no problem. And I said, I need you to move on right now. And they just walked away. I'm only saying that because we do all we can to love them and to help them, and they should know that. Some people are going to complain about us on Facebook. Some people were never going to do enough. Some people are going to misread our intentions and not like us. And a lot of people don't want any help. But we still have to do all that we can to help them. And the reason for that is, is I never want to miss Jesus. You know that Jesus said, as much as you do to the least, you do to me. And a lot of times, that could be Jesus. A lot of times, Jesus is watching, and he's seeing, and it's a test to see how we will love. And I'm sure that I have missed it many of times. But fortunately, in God's love and his mercy, he keeps giving me chance after chance after chance. Because we have to love the outcast and the hurting and the broken and the least, no matter how hard it is. And sometimes the outcast and the broken aren't the homeless person, but they're a wealthy person or a middle-class person, or sometimes it's some of us that are right where we're at in our life, but struggling with depression and addiction and hurts and pains and loneliness and isolation. We get angry. We get angry at each other. We were divided and, you know, the church didn't do enough and we weren't there enough. And I'm sure that that's the case sometimes. And it gets really messy. But you know what was really, really messy? Was the manger. And today I want to connect the dots for you about why Jesus was born in the manger in a place called Bethlehem. And I want to show you the prophetic promises to this church and to your life individually of why the manger and Bethlehem are so important and how it applies to us today. So let's first look at Luke chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Now, a little bit of the backstory here. Caesar Augustus calls a census right at the perfect time. Thank God that the Lord was moving in the Roman emperor and the Roman governors to call the census when he did. This wasn't by chance. This was divinely orchestrated. Here's why. There were many, many prophecies that were given about Bethlehem birthing the Savior and the Messiah. Had the census not been called at the exact perfect time when Mary was nine months pregnant, then there would be no birthing of the Messiah in Bethlehem. Because Mary and Joseph were living in Nazareth. But Joseph's hometown was actually Bethlehem because he was of the lineage of David. And so when the census was called, biblically, people were to go back to where their ancestry was from to be counted in the census. So thank God that God was divinely orchestrating behind the scenes to birth the promise and the covenant of the Messiah in Bethlehem. If, if Jesus wasn't born in Bethlehem, there would have been no fulfillment of the prophetic promises from the Old Testament, and he couldn't have been the Messiah. So Mary and Joseph go to, go to Bethlehem, and they arrive at this time. It says, so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no guest room or no room for them in the inn. 
So let me first talk to you a little bit about the inn. The inn was not like a hotel, or it wasn't a building with a lot of rooms that people could rent and pay for. Now, there were inns like that in those days because we have the story of the Good Samaritan. In the story of the Good Samaritan, there was actually an innkeeper, and there was a fee that was charged to put the injured man in that the Good Samaritan paid for. That's different than this inn. This inn is more like a guest room or a separate private quarters in the house of somebody else. In fact, the word in here is the same word used for the upper room. It's the place where Jesus would celebrate the Last Supper. It's a place where the fire of the Holy Spirit would fall on Pentecost. So the inn was more like a guest quarters. And when Joseph and Mary arrive, the inn is full, right? And so what happens? They have to go stay in the manger. Something else that's important about the inn is that the inn was known as a place where you could go and not only rest and find lodging, but a place where your animals could find lodging and food and water. Actually, the inn means a loosing for the night. It's a place where you can loose your beast of burden. You know what a beast of burden is? It's not a Rolling Stone song, even though there is one. A beast of burden is a pack mule. It's a sumpter. It's basically an animal that's carrying a lot of weight and a lot of load on a long journey and needs a break. It's releasing the beast of their burden. It's a place where the animals could unloose, where they could unhitch, and it's a place where not only could the traveler find rest, but their animals could find rest. More like a private house with a stable attached to it. And so the private house and the guest chamber was full. And so Mary and Joseph have to go stay in the stable, right? It's a place where not only did the animals rest, but there were animal keepers. The people that took care of the animals. And in the stable, there would be an elevated spot where the animal keepers would stay. And then there would be the stalls where the animals would stay. So most likely, Joseph and Mary would have to have stayed at this elevated spot. And then, of course, she's ready to deliver her baby. And we find that as they're staying there, the baby would be laid in a manger. So the manger is not the stable. We often think of the manger as the cave or the stable. It's not. A manger looks probably something like this. We have a wooden trough that's got hay and you have the swaddling clothes in it. We see this kind of picture all the time. But really, this is probably not what the manger looked like. The manger probably really actually looked more like this, which would be a stone trough. And in this stone trough is where the food would be put to feed the animals or the fodder. The word manger actually means to eat. And it's important that you see that because the, the livestock and the animals would literally eat from the very place that Jesus would be laid and where he would be birthed. And that's powerful because Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. Anybody that drinks from me will thirst no more. Anybody that eats from me will have everlasting life. So this isn't by chance that Jesus would be birthed in this spot. It was divinely set up. Because of all the places that Jesus could go, 
and be birthed, I guarantee you the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit determined this would be the spot. A stone trough where animals would eat from. And that's extremely significant. It's a place where the wild animals in nature could come, like in nature preserves. It's a place where the cattle and the sheep could eat from. And so it would, be, it would happen in Bethlehem. Now, I'm going to connect these dots for you. Bethlehem means house of bread. Bethlehem is located about six miles to the south of Jerusalem, and it means house of bread. It's known as the city of David, and it's the place where uh, King David was both from and where he would be crowned the king of Israel. And more importantly, it was the city that was prophesied over as the one that would birth the Messiah, which comes from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. And so this is a promise to Bethlehem, who is considered the least among cities and the least among rulers to birth the Messiah. And so this is also the scripture that was quoted by the scribes to King Herod when Herod wanted to find the Messiah and kill and uh, issued the decree to kill all the firstborns. It was the scribes that reminded Herod about the promise from Micah 5.2 of where the Messiah would be born from in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was also the place where Naomi and Boaz were from, King David's great-grandparents. And of course, King David would receive the covenant promise that the throne of his kingdom would last forever through the coming of the Messiah. What's so important about Bethlehem being the least among rulers or the least among cities is this. The deepest meaning of the littleness and insignificance of Bethlehem is that God does not bestow the blessings of the Messiah, the blessings of salvation, on the basis of your greatness, your merit, or your achievement. He doesn't elect cities or people because of their prominence or grandeur or distinction. When he chooses, he chooses freely in order to magnify the glory of his own mercy, not the glory of how good you are, how noble you are, or how distinct you are. And that's the way God does everything. And to understand the major and to understand Bethlehem is to understand that God is always birthed inside your mess, inside your imperfect world. In your weakness, his strength is made perfect. Some of you are battling addiction. None of you deserve God's mercy, by the way. And many times, if I had my, I think, man, God, you don't deserve God's mercy. But that's the point. Mercy is not deserved. And it's through me failing so many times that I've learned God's mercy and grace and how much he really loves me. I've learned God's love through my messiness. And some of you have a lot of messiness going on in your life, but that's the perfect place for God to be born in your life. Jesus is birthed in a manger. And this church has received prophetic words that this is a manger. And I'm telling you that Jesus is always birthed in your darkest, most difficult, hardest places of your life. And you never, ever deserve it. And then when you know Jesus and you give your life to him and you keep messing up over and over and over and over again, and you think, man, I should have known better. And I think, man, you definitely don't deserve God's mercy. He says, that's the point. I'm giving you mercy because I love you. My favorite thing about the Lord is that how could he continue to love me when I keep screwing up so much? Because I don't deserve it. 
And my dad didn't even love me that well. And when I think about from a world standard, I think, man, you need to pay your price. And God says, it doesn't work that way. My son paid the price. And you've got to connect the dots that the manger is a place where animals feed. And that's why when Jesus comes, he comes to reverse the curse. And it started right off the bat in the manger. Have you ever said to yourself, when you do something wrong or, you know, you're working hard or you think a certain way, have you ever said to yourself, well, it's just human nature? You ever said that? I hear people say it all the time. I used to say it. But when you get born again, it's no more human nature because human nature is actually carnality. The word carnal used all throughout the New Testament comes from the word carnivore, which means meat eater or flesh. And what it means is, is that carnal is human nature at its finest or animal nature. But when you get born again, God takes away the animal nature. Here's a fun fact for you. The inn, the guest chambers would require no payment. There's no payment because it's not an inn like a hotel. Do you know that there's, you guys can come here as much as you want, bring your kids to childcare. I'll love you. We'll pray for you. We'll do anything and everything we can for you. And you don't have to give your money. Did you know that? There's no require, there's no fee at the door. It's not like, now, if you're going to stay here, you have to make sure you pay. Do we want you to give? Yes. Do we ask our members to give? Sure. Because nothing here is for free. Salvation's free, but then we got to pay the light bill, right? But I'm not checking your tithe list. I don't know whether any of y'all give or don't give, just so that you know. It's between you and the Lord. Be faithful. Be faithful with your money and know it came from him. You know what the innkeeper would require for payment? Or the, not the innkeeper, but the, uh, the, the owner of the home that had the guest chambers or the inn? You know what they would require for payment? They would have to leave their earthenwares behind, so their wooden plates and bowls and forks and all their, their, their earthen vessels, they'd leave behind. And also, they would leave the skins of the animals from the sacrifices that they would have in Jerusalem. So, they, so the payment was, if you don't mind, leave your animal skin behind and your earthen vessels behind as a form of payment. And you know what that's a picture of? When you come to Rock City, what I expect you to leave behind is anything you're putting your trust in of this world. If you're a workaholic, if you're chasing after the pleasures and delights of sex, alcohol, drugs, everything contrary to what God has for you, I want you to leave it right here. I got this big giant trash compactor right up here in the front. I got a big giant trough right here in the spirit. And every time you come, you can leave all your baggage and leave your old animal skin nature, trade it, get born again and leave the old you here. There's room at the end here. There's room at this end. And anybody can come freely, but I'm asking you, hey, listen, if you don't mind, <coughs> um, can you leave anything that's of this world in your life here? And the old Jews, let's leave it behind. <clears throat> and keep coming to the altar calls. And don't ever back down and don't ever stop coming. And we'll make room for you. But, but listen, there's a, it's messy. The manger is messy. Very messy sometimes. And we're not perfect. 
And there's a lot of times I think, okay, I want to get more organized here at Rock City. I want to get more programs, more meetings. And first of all, we're a very busy church as it is. But I start to think, okay, I need to start, I need to add more things for 40 and over. I need to get more home groups. And I need to get more, I need to get a social media pastor for sure. Because when people are hurting or sick and they post on Facebook, we don't know a lot of times unless we catch it on Facebook. And sometimes we don't catch it. So I'm like, well, I need to get that. I need to get more people. And I need to get 10 more pastors and 20 more elders. And I need to organize this church a lot more. And then before you know it, this church becomes corporate and institutionalized and really, really organized. And I know for some of you, it's like, man, that would sound really good. But how about if we learn to do life as family and actually get in the trenches and break bread together and become more like Jesus? And how about if we don't try to orchestrate and organize this so much and let it be a little bit messy like a manger? Because Jesus moves really well in mangers. Jesus knows how to be birthed in a manger, not in my perfection. Because we often think we want a palace and it needs to be better and a little bit nicer. I'm like, yeah, no, that's not going to work. You know, let's, there's stains on the carpet and we got poles in the way. And who knows what it's going to be like over there. And I could think, man, I want to build the most state-of-the-art million-dollar facility. And Jesus is like, yeah, uh, you better follow my lead because we're going to build it my way, not your way. And what I want you to understand about this manger is how important it is for you to see that your life is like a manger. Remember, manger means to eat. Jesus would say, I'm the bread of life. Jesus, we be birthed in a place where animals eat. Old nature, old you comes to eat from Jesus and becomes transformed into new you. Get it? Remember, Bethlehem, house of bread. Jesus, bread of life. uh, Manger, a feeding trough. Where animals eat. That's who Jesus is. So when Jesus was birthed there, he's saying, look, I'm still birthed in mangers. Some of you, your life is like total animal nature. But guess what? There's a baby in a manger. There's a Jesus ready to be birthed in your life right in the midst of your mess. Never lose sight of God's mercy. I'm going to point to all of you. Ever. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to get it all right. I wish you would. I wish I would. But you know what? The Lord is good. Let's say it together. For the Lord is good. Now I'm looking. I want to hear all y'all say it, Reuben. For the Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. No one knows what it means to live like an animal in his past life like Reuben does. But now God got a hold of him and. Welcome to dad life, husband life, fired up for Jesus life. He was a manger when he walked in here. And he was messy. And Jesus got birthed. And this was a manger. Because Jesus is always birthed in a manger. You've got to see the connection. And he's always birthed. In a house of bread. And it has nothing to do with how great you are and perfect you are. And as many times as you mess it up. I have learned the love of the Lord. I will self-deprecate first. I have learned God's love through more failures in my life than anything else. And I said, God, I don't deserve this. I mean, I just really messed it up yesterday. And then God starts doing all this great stuff. And I'm like, why are you doing this? I, I mean, in my natural mind, I don't. I shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that. I have to pay a price for what I did. And we live this life of penance, 
you know, penance, that I got to measure back up and work my way back up. Jesus is instant. Every time. I don't understand it in my natural mind. How can he be that good? How can his mercy continue when I was defiant, even when I spit in his face? And we have to self-deprecate. Because when we, when we purposely walk away and live in defiance to his word, we're spitting in his face. He says, I still love you. But, but Lord, it just can't be. I mean, Lord, I just, I, I don't know how you could love me so much. So, well, I still do because love covers a multitude of sins. My son already paid that price. Because the only thing that pulled me out of constant living in sin and living in, pre-mar- living out of, you know, living in premarital sex and out of his design, the only thing that caused me to quit porn, to quit living as an alcoholic and a drug addict and chasing other lovers, the only thing that changed my life was how much he loved me. He loved enough to be birthed not in a perfect guest chamber, but rather in a manger. So why do I share all of this and what's my point? Many people don't have room for Jesus in their life and they reject him. More often than not, these people are actually the religious ones. Why? Well, they have a form of godliness, but they, don't, they deny his power. Or they're preoccupied, or they're just full with no room in their inn. Some of us have no room because we love the pleasures and delights of this world more than the pleasure and delight than what he has. And the reason for that is because we've not ever actually really tasted what he has, but we've sure tasted good sex and good drugs and good alcohol and all that stuff. That makes me feel good, the pleasures and delight of this world. But you don't really know how much better the pleasure and delight of what he has is for you. And for me, I kept living in this other side of the world like an animal until I came to the manger, to the trough. And I actually, once I started eating from the trough, I started to understand that his pleasure and delight is way better than that pleasure and delight. Because that pleasure and delight leaves me in the morning. That pleasure and delight gave me a hangover. That pleasure and delight robbed me. That pleasure and delight brought shame in my life. That pleasure and delight never really satisfied. But the pleasure and delight I got from him never left. It never went away. I didn't have to keep chasing after anything else in this world because I always had pleasure and delight from him. We have to make room for Jesus, and he'll often come in a way that you don't suspect or when you're unexpecting. It's like, man, I'm in... I'm so messed up. Why would God do do something now? And I'm not looking and I'm sidetracked and I'm blinded or I have shame and I'm not forgiving myself and I'm just beat up and beat down. I feel like God's far from me and he's angry at me. Any of you ever feel that way? And then you miss what God's doing and it's like, man, God's not even talking to me and I don't hear God's voice. When that's a lie too because the Bible says all day long he stretches out his hand. I don't, I don't ever see the fact that God doesn't want to talk to you. Sometimes he may be silent because he wants you to pursue him. But all day long, he's reaching out his hand. All day long, he wants you. All day long, he's crying out for you. He thinks about you nonstop. I can show it to you in scripture. I preached it just a few weeks ago. He's con- you're constantly on his mind. And that's why with the 
Ralphs and the Lances and people that are defecating on our side walked right up and right in front of me. A guy just whipped it right out and started urinating right there in front of my coffee shop. I'm like, dude, really? Oh, pastor, I'm so sorry. He's zipping it up his pants. No, this is the world that we live in. Like, dude, you can't, look, we've loved you. I've cared for you. You can't just peer at pastor or I'm so sorry. I I know I should have known better. All right, all right, man. I love you. I know you're hurting. Come here, let me pray for you. I've laid hands on more homeless people and Lisa all day long at Rising Tide and her burning passion for the hurting and the broken because many times that's Jesus, but you're too busy or too preoccupied or he comes in a different form. Sometimes it's me right now talking to you. Make room in your inn. Don't reject him. Or how about this? How about some of you got rejected because somebody else didn't make room for you in their end? Oh, I know that really well. Oh, man, do I know that. I have experienced major church rejection. I got fired from my last church. Six and a half years pastoring here in town. Let go. Overnight. Right here at Corpus Christi. The only saving grace is I got fired with 225 people. It made it a little bit easier. The whole church got fired. I didn't choose it. I didn't choose this place. I didn't even choose Corpus Christi. But when you become yielded to the Lord, God always leads you to to places and you'll get rejected and ends will be closed. And God says, I love you so much. Go sleep in the manger. Oh, man, I'd never go sleep in a manger. Are you kidding me? There's wild animals there. There's people with that. It smells like poop. That Rock City Church, whoo, whoo, there's some stink. That homeless guy, that super spiritual person that worshiped in a way you didn't like, the super extravagant one that's distracting for you, worship too long, prophetic, can't believe you sang a prophetic song today. I mean, wow. There's some people that are like that. And you have to understand, this is a manger. It was prophesied over this church that it'd be a manger. I'm going to show that to you. God always bursts himself in a manger in Bethlehem. The manger represents God's story in your life of messy. It's a picture of his strength being made perfect in your weakness. It's a picture of God's love to the outcast, the lost, the fallen. The animal nature that has to be crucified with him. The manger is a picture of the perfect being birthed in the imperfect. It's a picture of God transforming your life in the most messiest state. Not only are all invited to come and eat and drink of him as the bread of life and of the living water, but now we become mangers for other people to come and eat and drink from us. That's why you have to understand communion. 
Communion's not your nice little experience with your little wafer and a cup. And I'm sorry for some of you. I know it's offensive to say that your typical, your Eucharist is not really what God intended. What God intended is that we would break our lives and our give of our flesh and give of our blood for one another. Because back in the day, it's like you were told, you can't come up to the table unless you're a member or unless you have no sin in your life. And I'm like, well, how much time do you have? If you got about five hours, I'll confess all my sin and then come up to the table. That's just how silly that is. Because the way Jesus is, is he stands up in the multitude in the crowds and says, Lo, all you who are hungry and thirsty, come to me. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, you had the, the approved ones, the church leaders, sitting at the best table, divided with apostasies and factions and competitive and best tables and the, the elect were getting drunk and eating the best food while the outcasts were being left behind and they were sick because the people weren't really discerning the Lord's body. Because real communion is on the night Jesus was betrayed, he broke himself open and he said, here's my flesh, eat it. Here's my blood, drink it. Now you do likewise. Because real communion is you lay your life down for one another and you fight for one another and you fellowship with one another and you get unified as the body of Christ. And then you love the outcasts who don't know or have what you have. It's not our nice little experience of our sacred communion. You can tell I'm a little bit intense about that. Now, don't get mad at me. We still have once a month the cup, the cup and the cracker. And I started, when we do communion on that first Wednesday, I have everybody actually pass it, hand it out to one another, then get in a circle and stand together and look at each other and love each other. Because the best form of communion I can think of is looking and loving and touching and serving. Not my nice little. If you want your nice little experiences, get it in your secret place every day. Because people will come here to the church and they'll have their nice little wafer and their cup and they'll have their communion. But at home, their marriage is a wreck. And they'll have holy moments and walk out and can't even have a conversation or keep a job or love somebody well. Right? How about if we learn how to live and love and serve and care and give? Jesus would literally give of his body and of his blood to the people that he encountered, even his betrayer, who was possessed with Satan at the table. Woo! Talk about messy. That's how we love. That's how we give. That's how we serve. And that's how Rock City Church is. Rock City Church is like Bethlehem, a house of bread. Think about Ruth. Ruth the Moabitess. She came from a country that had child sacrifices to Molech and to other deities. I just looked up real quick the deity of the Moabites. It's a god called Chemosh. And Chemosh had a goddess deity called Ashtoreth. She was the god of war and, for, and sexual fertility. And he is the god of destroyer, destruction, and the subduer. Now, can you imagine Naomi and her husband and two boys have to leave the house of bread because there's a drought in Judea, and they go to Moab. 
While living in Moab, the husband and the two boys die. Can you imagine that? In a land of incredible idolatry. And so what happens? Naomi's left with her two daughter-in-laws and decides that she's going to go back to Bethlehem. You know why? Because she heard that there was bread there. She heard that the famine was gone. And, of course, you should know the story. If you haven't read Ruth in a while, I encourage you to read it. And so Ruth pleads with Naomi to take her back to Bethlehem. And ultimately, Naomi does. But she's hurt, she's broken, she's bitter, and she goes back to Bethlehem in Judea. And guess what happens? A kinsman redeemer comes. A man by the name of Boaz whose mother was a prostitute. Her name was Rahab. You see, if you don't connect the dots of God's perfect and you're imperfect, people don't like the fact that prostitutes and Moabites that weren't even Jewish are in the lineage of David because it's too messy for them. We want perfect, but God always moves in the imperfect. And it would be in Bethlehem, that Boaz and Ruth would get married and birth a son, Obed, who would birth a son named Jesse, who would birth a son named David. And it was to King David the covenant promises were given that his line would stand and last and rule forever. The promise of the Messiah would come through King David. Thank God there was a house of bread for a Ruth. You'll see it. I'll give it. You're going to understand that when there's a drought out there, there's fresh bread in here. The Naomi's and the Ruth's are looking for houses of bread. This is so profound that while we were doing the demo work, Robert White was doing the demo work next door at our new sanctuary. And right above where the stage is set to be, engraved in the steel rafter of our new sanctuary... In the steel girder is the word Bethlehem, USA. You can't make that stuff up. God calls us to be houses of bread. God calls your life to be like a manger where other animal, wild animals the hurting, the broken, the lost, the ex-strippers, the ex-drug dealers, the ex-outlaw bikers can come to your life and find something to eat. But do you have something to give them? Has Jesus been birthed in your manger? Or do you feel like you're so messy that God can't love you or birth himself in you? You know, one of the things about that God that was the national deity of Moab is that it actually, the name of the God was like Astara, but the the Jews turned the name into Ashtoreth because the actual last part of that name meant shame. Because that God was a master at subduing you, at bringing adversity to your life, and putting shame on your life. But Jesus is always birthed in a manger. And some of you have shame, hurts, pains, brokenness, addictions, fears, worries. And I'm going to say this like I've said it a thousand times. Never stop coming. Never stop coming to the house of bread. 
because we got fresh bread serving up. And you know what? The Lord has fresh bread for you every day as the bread of life. Eat of him, drink of him, consume him. Come to the, fo- come to the feeding trough every day and find the places where you can come and leave your baggage behind. For years and years and years and years and years and years and years, when I went to church, I answered every altar call and I took all my shame, all my failures, all my pain, all my brokenness, everything I did. And I left it here at the altar. I would package it up the best I knew and I'd throw it at the altar, casting my cares at his feet because he cares for me. I never could do the motions of church. I never did not worship. There's not one time I was in so much shame that I didn't worship because I learned that worship brings breakthrough and I learned to worship because I'm so desperate. The reason why I'm worshiping is not because I have it all figured out. It's because sometimes I'm so jacked up. I'm so broken. I'm so hurting. And I messed it up so bad last night that if I don't lift my hands and run to his feet, I'd rather die. But the deceptive lie of the enemy is to get you to be Or we come to church, I'm too shameful. God doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. He's, I'm too messed up. I screwed it up so bad last night. I'm living in so much condemnation and shame. God could never forgive me. Deceptive lie. Take it from a man, 27, 28 years of failures and screw-ups. There's not one time I walked into the, the house of God and did not worship my face off because I understood that when I screw up, don't run from him, run to him because he's my life preserver when I'm drowning. Not standing on the boat going, swim in it. Learn your lesson, son. Screw up. A dad would never treat his son that way. And some of you had dads like that, but the heavenly father's not like that. Instead of standing like this, he's going, I can take it. You should have seen what I did on that cross. Actually, everything you did, I already took on the cross. And see, for me, you know what changed me? It was God's mercy and love, not beating me over the head with a Bible, not religion. It was that God loved me so much because I realized his love was so much better than the love of another and that I was just failing it miserably over and over again. He's all that I had. And he was so much better that finally his love won me over. Because his love covers a multitude of sins. <clears throat> Some of you are shacking up, sleeping around, addiction, porn, drugs, alcohol. Let me tell something to all of you. His mercy is available right now, and I love you, and I have mercy for you, and I'm not shocked by any of it. Stop living in shame. Pick yourself up. Dust yourself off and run after Jesus. Because if you keep running after him, eventually his love will win out in your life. And stop it because it'll kill you, and you don't want to keep dying. And I think you already know that. I don't even have to try to put any condemnation on you because more often than not we feel conviction from what we're doing so people should be able to run in here when there's a drought and there's false god worship and idolatry and a famine in the land and come into here or come to you wherever you live whatever you do at your school at your job and find a house of bread find a manger here guys eat away i got my 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 troughs wide open i got fruit I got the words of life, and I got a full-grown Jesus living in me. And I don't always do it right, and I don't always get it, get it right. But that's the beautiful thing about Jesus is in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. And so we have Bethlehem in our rafters, and we've been prophesied over to be a manger. We're all called to be like Bethlehem, a covenant promise to the world around us.
a place where the hurting and the broken can come. That when there's a drought and a famine in the land, there's bread in this house. A place where no payment's required. Some of you don't have any money. In fact, Jesus said, in, or uh, the Lord said in Isaiah 55, he said, Oh, come unto me, all you who are hungry, thirsty, weary. You who have no money, come and buy and eat bread, wine, milk. The only payment that's required really is your life, not your money. So what I'm saying is, how about if you leave your earthenwares here? The pursuit of your worldly jobs, your careers, money, stuff, things. And I have all that, but it doesn't have me. Because I learned through the hard way that as fast as you get it, you could lose it. And I also learned that I also know in the Bible it says it's all going to burn in the end. So why would I hang on to my stuff anyway? So I make an exchange. I trade my pursuit of the things of this world for the pursuit of him. And then I lay down my old wine. I become a sacrifice and I lay down my old skin. So today I, the store is open and I'm taking old animal skins today. Who's got an old animal skin that they want to leave behind? Who's got some earthen vessels they need to leave behind? The end's open. And all you got to do is leave the old Jew and your stuff and the pursuit of this world behind. You can do it. I'm doing it. And there's hundreds and hundreds of people. In fact, there's millions all over the world that are doing it too. You're not alone. We're not this little tiny speck. We're thousands and millions of people all over the world that God's flaming on who are leaving their lifestyles and their pursuit of this world and money and careers and stuff and pleasures and delight and they're laying down their lives as sacrifice and the old nature skin is being left behind. That's the picture of the brazen altar in the Old Testament. You couldn't even get into the inner court. You couldn't take one step till you went past the brazen altar first. It's burning up the animal flesh, laying down carnality. So Rock City's a house of bread to the world around us. And we are a manger where he's constantly being birthed in the hearts and lives of all of us and those to come. When Brad McClendon, who is an overseer of this church, one of my dearest friends in the world, first came to Rock City Church, he looked at me and said, this church is like a manger. This church is like a manger. And I didn't really fully understand it, but I began to understand a little bit more. What he's really saying is, man, it's really messy here. But Jesus is birthed in the mess. Let's run the video. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, Rock City Church. Can't wait to see you during the New Year's conference. You know, uh, David reminded me of an old prophecy that I gave about uh, Rock City Church being a manger where Christ is going to be birthed. And I want to, you know, uh, remind you to maybe read that during this season because it's truly going to happen. You know, Christ wasn't born in a sanitized hospital. Matter of fact, they did not have room for him in the end. And because of that rejection, it pushed them into a manger. It pushed them into an unlikely place that you would birth the Son of God. And I just want to encourage you, uh, you know, even, even uh, David, your pastor, my wonderful friend, uh, the way he even got to this manger, to this church, he was almost pushed there. Uh, he, was, he was set up for this time. Honestly, it's because there wasn't room for him. 
God had bigger plans for him. And that's the same way with you. You've had a lot of things. You've probably, a lot of you have probably been rejected. You didn't fit in in the end. And there's a lot of things that have pushed you here. But I want to get, I just want to give you an update. God did it. He has gotten you to this place at Rock City Church. He's gotten you in a manger. He's put you in the perfect atmosphere in your life to birth his son. So stop trying to, you know, clean up and be sanitized. Just say, Lord, use me. I want you to live through me this year. And guess what? He will birth himself right in your mess. He'll birth himself in your manger. So I can't wait to see you, Rock City Church. We got a lot of things to unpack. David, I can't wait to see you either. And Amber, I love you. Can't wait to see those kids. All right. Grace, grace to you. Love you. Bye-bye. Yeah. So Brad gives this word that we're a manger. And then I realize it's a place where people can unloose, take the load off, unpack, release the beast of burden, and find rest. And then I was reminded of this scripture in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. When Jesus says, come, on, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll, I'll paraphrase it for me. Come unto me, all you pack mules. Come unto me, all you who are carrying a heavy load of shame. Failures. Mistakes. Financial burdens. Whatever it is. I, whatever it is you're carrying. You got to make the decision. To come to Jesus, because when you come to Jesus, what do you find? And when you're rested, you're not stressed, anxious, worried. And in fact, I'm most rested when I'm in the pocket of his love and not chasing after the things of this world. So today, if you are heavy laden, you've been carrying a heavy weight for a long time, I want you to leave it here. If you don't know Jesus and you're not born again, you got to give your life. You got to let him be birthed in your manger. Let Jesus be birthed right inside of you right now. There's no better time to get born again than right now. Christmas, the Sunday before Christmas, 2019, December 22nd. The day's a great day. If you've walked away and you've slid backwards and you feel like you're far from God and you're living in shame and constant repentance and you think God's mad at you. He's not mad at you. He's beckoning you to come to him. And so we're going to pray for you. If you're hurting, broken, heavy laden, if you feel like your life's too messy, well, we just tore that myth down. And if you need to eat real bread in the house of bread, we're cooking up some fresh bread right now. The bread of life is here. And you can come and eat. Let's all stand. And I'd like to ask my ministry team, my prayer partner team to come up. I'm going to pray for you publicly, but I want to invite those of you that are really hurting, distant, far, carrying a heavy load, shame, failures, mistakes. I don't care if they were 10 minutes before you walked in or last night. Stop carrying it. And I don't care if you come up to the altar every time this church is open. Get up here. Because there's this big thing right here in the spirit 
where you can leave all of your baggage, all your hurts, all your pains, this big giant trough. And then right next to it's a feeding trough. And in that feeding trough, you can be fed the bread of life. And then you can drink some living water. And then when you walk out, you can leave strengthened and quickened and not carrying that weight anymore. And by the way, I'm asking you to check in your old animal skins and your earthenwares. Because that's the cost. Leave it. And don't resurrect it when you walk out. Life's too short to chase after the things of this world. Mark my words. You're going to look back and go, man, I made a lot of money and I worked all the time, but my kids were sure blessed. But you missed birthdays and putting your kids to bed and waking up in the mornings with them because you worked your whole life. And I know some of you are in that season right now. I'm not condemning that. I'm just saying to you, be willing to leave it behind. And God will set you up. He set me up. The biggest thing is if you got a messy manger, just self-deprecate. I got a messy manger. Jesus, I need you to be birthed inside right now. And if that's you, I'm inviting you to come up. I got all these sons and daughters and mamas and papas up here. Or you can even come kneel down, take it off, unloose, take off the yoke, and then grab onto Jesus' yoke because it's easy and light. And worship your faces off. Like there's no tomorrow. Don't come in here and just stand around. I'm telling you. I love you all enough to know what, to tell you what worship does. It's not a style and preference thing. You don't get to decide how you worship. The Bible decides it for us and the Holy Spirit shows us. I surrender. Lord, I worship. It's not about me. It's about you. You can do it. So today, if you're hurting, broken, sick, lost, lonely, isolated... If you got a messy manger, I see Jesus ready to be birthed. You can come and eat from the bread of life. Just start making your way up right now. Let somebody pray for you, and I'm going to pray and release you. Lord, I thank you so much for this church. Thank you that we are Bethlehem, the house of bread. Rock City Church, the house of bread. Lord, cook up fresh rolls, Lord, fresh big rolls of yourself. To bring healing to the nations, healing to, to Corpus Christi, healing to everyone that walks in these doors, the hurting, the broken, the lost, the dying, and birth yourself in the manger of this church, and birth yourself in the manger of my heart, and in the hearts of everybody here today. And I thank you, God, that what you did thousands of years ago, you're still doing today. That the Christmas story is always alive, full time, all the time. I bless you. I bless your relationships, your finances, your family, your future. And I bless you with a fresh perspective, what life's really all about. Intimacy with him and with one another in family and relationships. Thank you, God, for this church, and thank you for a great Christmas. I pray everybody here would have an awesome day with family and friends, that none of you would feel depressed or alone. You have Jesus, and you have a family around you. Lord, I come against discouragement about money and gifts, and I thank you, God, that we've been given the best gift, the gift of your son. And I thank you so much, Lord God, for strength and a wonderful time and a wonderful season. I bless you all mightily. In Jesus' name, amen.